Good evening, everyone. So good to have such an outrageously enthusiastic crowd. Um, so tonight, tonight we are looking at um, James 1, um, 17 to 27. Um, but I'm thinking I won't read out the whole scripture, um, just because I won't actually be talking about most of it. <laughs> but I think that there are two parts of the scripture that stand out to me as being particularly prophetic to our time and our culture. And the first one is this. Um, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. When I first read over this verse, I kind of gave it very little attention, but the more I read over it, the more it struck me. It made me think back to a talk that a certain barefoot bishop gave a few years ago. Um, and what he explained how the way that we learn things in society has changed, as society has changed. In Jesus' time, people learned through stories. And this is why Jesus used parables um, to communicate content. Um, in the 19th and 20th century, the primary method was books. Knowledge was highly valued and sought after. And now we've well and truly moved through the age of books and we are now in the age of entertainment. We find it very difficult to engage with content if it's not entertaining. <coughs> the age of entertainment comes with an absolute information overload where a million things are competing for our attention and so we develop a very high threshold of what actually grabs us. We get presented with endless ideas and causes, and we often have an opinion about most of them, um, but do very little about any of them. And psychology has this very well documented, they call it the attitude behaviour gap. More than ever in history, people will claim to believe in or be passionate about things, but there's no actual evidence of that in their life. We seem to have little or no intention of applying what we learn. Um, this is clearly a huge problem for how we respond to the word of God. I would say that we all have things that we say we believe or value and fail to act on them. And I've been pretty bad with this stuff. I found myself approaching talks and discussions about following Jesus the same way that one should probably approach a, um, a roller coaster at a theme park. I really want to have a good time, feel my stomach drop out of my body, and then hopefully go home and there are no painful consequences for my life. <laughs> I think this is the same for most people. Either we want to hear what we already believe, so we can feel awesome because our values and beliefs are enforced, or we want the adrenaline rush of a really hard-hitting challenge. For those of us who grew up in very straight Christian households where deviant and risky behaviour was not an option, the best adrenaline hit we could get was hearing a really challenging sermon that would give us a <laughs> And just if anyone was in any doubt, it isn't meant to be like this. You'll notice in the Gospels, when people heard what Jesus had to say, they either reacted extremely positively and went out proclaiming the good news, or they told him to piss off and plotted to kill him. <laughs> there was very little in between. What never happened was people who nodded their heads, said, Amen, praise Jesus a bit, and then went back to their daily lives. 
Instead of saying that those who do not act on what they hear are condemned to burn in the fires of hell, this is what the scripture says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. We as a generation have forgotten what we look like. Forgotten that we are made in God's image and are his children. By hearing and not acting on the gospel, we've lost touch with our identities in God. And so we've also forgotten what God looks like. And this doesn't get fixed just by trying harder to live out the gospel or being down on ourselves. It will happen through reclaiming our identity in Christ. So we have an attitude behavior gap. We often hear and don't act. By failing to act, we have lost what it means to live in our identity as children of God. And we, I'm aware that we throw around these phrases a lot, like having our identity in Christ, being children of God, and don't necessarily know what that means or what it looks like. And I think the next um, verse unpacks that quite well. And so this is verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And this is an interesting one because I think we like it because it's social justice and it affirms that part of us. But I don't think we quite know what to make of words such as pure and pollution. And I think a useful way to think about it could be um, similar to idols. Pollution is the stuff in our lives that stops us from being able to be in relationship with God. Much like physical pollution, we can't see God through it, and so we cannot trust him. And I think the scripture of the, about the rich man is a good example. I think we all know the one. Um, understandably, the, man, the rich man walks away dejected after Jesus tells him that to be perfect, he must go and sell everything he has. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I tell you the truth, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And I read an interesting commentary on this recently, which puts a slightly different spin on that. Um, that the eye of the needle was actually a nickname for a small entrance next to the main gate in Jerusalem. A small gate that a camel could not pass through when it was carrying baggage. When the camel took the baggage off, it could pass through the gate. And see, here Jesus gives him the hard truth that while he has plenty, he will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. And this is an immensely challenging idea that we get polluted by having plenty. This isn't because God is just blindly prejudiced against the rich or those who have stuff. There's actually a very good reason for it. It's because... We will never trust fully in God until there is nothing else to put our trust in. And please don't think you're an exception to that. I'm going to say it again. We will never trust in God until there is nothing else to put our trust in. God, unfortunately, is always our last resort. And I think a good gauge of how much you're giving to God is to ask yourself the question, if all of this Jesus stuff fell through, if it was all a sham and if none of God's promises were realized in your life, how much would you have left? 
And I think most of us would be pretty okay, wouldn't we? Because we've got other stuff going for us. There are still people out there that would respect us. We have a solid job and we have money. Those people who have the strongest faith would have nothing. Their whole life rides on the promise of God's kingdom because they have loved till they have nothing left and so remove the pollution in their lives that obscures God's face. You just can't get there without sacrificing some stuff. And it kind of makes sense though, eh? Because the more we have, the more time we spend up keeping it, the more of our identity we place in it. And I'm definitely not just talking about money. This goes for popularity, talents, jobs, you name it. The more popular you are, the more time you worry about being unpopular. We know this stuff. The more money you have, the more time you spend thinking about it, the more elite your job is, the more threatening the truth is that you're actually no better than anybody else or more important than anybody else. And these are the things that we use to run from God and that ultimately pollute us because we trust in them and not God. Instead, I think God wants to put us in the spaces where these idols get smashed and thus stop ourselves from becoming polluted. And there's been an awful lot of idol smashing and crashing that's gone on for me in the last few years. I thought I was pretty clever and solid academically till I failed four out of four papers in a trimester. I thought I was a pretty great youth worker with the neighbourhood kids till I realised that even after up to five years of journeying with some of these guys, um, I couldn't hold them together as a group and even get them to like each other. I thought I was just a little bit more together than most people until I saw my own computer addiction wasn't dissimilar to the drug addiction of someone else who was very close to me. The only difference was theirs was there for the whole world to see and I could keep mine hidden and thus avoid the public shame of it all. And actually these things all happened because I was trying to look after the widow and the orphan. And I learnt so much. I don't know how good it was for them, but it was good for me. (laughs) Trying to love those who has less is really great for deconstructing your crap. Because trying to love anyone well is going to bring your crap to the surface. But I reckon that the poor are better at keeping us accountable and letting us know where we stand. Their faith is often a lot stronger than the rich because we cannot trust God until we fully encounter our own brokenness. And the poor know they're broken. Society reminds them of it every day. It gets shoved in their face. But those of us who are rich in whatever area it may be, we will use our other identities to avoid trusting God. We can even think of um, that verse saying, we look after orphans and widows in their distress and so keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. And this all sounds pretty hardcore, and, and it is, but man, the sense of freedom that I felt on this journey of the last few years is unbelievable. And while there's a lot of deconstructing that's gone on, there's also been a lot of healing. And I'd absolutely do it all again if I had the option. And I know that this is actually only the beginning as well, and that makes me immensely excited um, to continue on this journey in the future. Um, so there have certainly been hard times, but I have so much more trust in God than I did two years ago, and so much more of God's goodness and work to testify to. Um, and I've, I've recently 
decided to stop pursuing being a clinical psychologist, which is a dream that I've had for about five years now. Um, Not because I'm trying to be a martyr, but because I've identified that being a clinical psychologist is a space that's going to encourage me to think that I've got the answers and to put Jesus out of the equation. And that's just inevitable. We're all human. If we're around that stuff, it kind of slowly affects and permeates the way we think. But more importantly than all that, I'm sick of using it as an excuse for not going deeper with Jesus. So often I've used studies, a scapegoat, and said, oh, I wish I could get more involved in community or church, but I'm really busy. As if I don't have control over that stuff, eh? If it's stopping me from being closer to Jesus, it's got to go. And I'm not saying everyone should give up their jobs. Some of us probably should. But we definitely all should be having a long, hard look at our lives and then get rid of the pollution that obscures God's face. Let's not forget that we have control over the pollution in our lives. We have control. So please, people, I would encourage you to make those choices that separate us from our idols and so depollute ourselves. And you know what's great? These choices, these choices are often hard or even impossible to make by ourselves, And that's why we have each other. Even something small like um, daily rhythms of prayer, for example. If I had the option to choose every day whether or not I felt like it, I probably wouldn't get along a whole lot. If I'm just being honest. But because I'm in a chapter and it's what we do, I show up, I grow and I'm fed because of it. And community is so great for supporting us in our choices um, to love those who will teach us how to live lives without pollution. And so, in closing, I just really want to encourage people to make those overarching life choices that will bring them closer to God. This means putting yourself in spaces where you have time for the widowed and the orphans because they will teach you things that you will not learn elsewhere, that you cannot learn elsewhere and allow you to trust God more as a result. There are just some spaces where it is harder to serve God. And while the journey can be tough, it is beautiful and it is full of freedom and I would recommend it to anyone And everyone, let us pray. Lord, I thank you for gathering us all here tonight. I thank you that we are a group of people that are committed to following you and giving our lives to you, Lord. So may you give us the courage. to make the choices that will depollute ourselves, that will minimise the attitude behaviour gap, Lord. And yes, Lord, we ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit tonight. And so, yes, they're already on their way out. Fantastic. Look at them go. All right. Oh, and just so. These guys will clear their seats off to the side, but if anyone is um, 
feeling like they want prayer or just wanting to pray by themselves, feel free to make your way over to the cross there and there will be folks who will be happy to pray for you. Thank you.